Let's pray. Father, we are grateful again for your word. And as we think about it and look at it, I pray that you would open our ears to hear what you'd have us to hear and our hearts to receive what you'd have us to receive so we may do what you would have us to do. So bless us now in the next few minutes. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Peter's first epistle has sometimes been said to contain in a condensed form everything that a Christian should know and believe and also how that knowledge and belief should affect their actions. It is, some would say, if you had, had to give one book of the Bible to someone to sum up what Christianity is and what a Christian is, this would be Peter's first epistle. And there have been times in the church's history where this book has been one of the go-to books. Sometimes we, for, for many, especially Protestant and Protestant, that's sort of Romans and John, right? But in many parts of the history of the church, it's been 1 Peter. First Peter's been the book, right, that you would turn to, especially in times of difficulty and, per, and when, when perseverance in the faith, faith was needed. Peter writes, he says in the beginning, to those who are the elect of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing, and there is much dispute over exactly who it is he's talking about here. Um, but he's clearly talking to people who are, he's, he's recalling the diaspora, the spreading apart of God's people, of the Jewish people throughout the world. But here he's calling God's covenant people who are spread about in this area of, of Asia. And he says, I'm writing to you. Now, there is, there is some dispute exactly who this is. Uh, and if you hold as I do, the traditional uh, early writing by Peter himself of the, the epistle to, to um, of the first epistle of Peter, then the thought is that these are, um, this is written to an area where there has not been a lot of growth in the church yet. The church is very new here. And it may well have come from Jews who were expelled from Rome, who have gone to these areas of, of Asia, now, now in the Turkish part, what we would now call Turkey, and they have brought the gospel with them. And they have shared that with the people living there. And there has begun to grow up a new church, right? The, the fresh new body of Christ here, where it has not been before. They're bringing with them the apostles' teaching, Peter's teaching, the apostles' teaching these places, and people are hearing it for the first time, and they're receiving it. And it's causing a lot of problems. One of the main themes in 1 Peter is, you are exiles. You are exiles because of your faith. And not simply exiles, you had to leave your country. One of the, as it becomes clear throughout the, the book, for the most part, he's saying, you're exiles from your family. Because you have accepted the faith, because you hold fast to the faith, your family has rejected you. And you're having to figure out how to live 
as a Christian amongst Jewish families who look at you as having left the faith, amongst Roman pagan families who look at you as if you've gone something very weird and strange, this new Christ that you're following. And now they are being rejected because of their faith. And Peter is writing to them and he's saying, here's what you need to know and here's how you need to act. He begins, he begins by saying, understand in how what you are become, all of God, all of who God is, has invested himself in you. Listen to the very beginning of this. I'm writing to the elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. The full Godhead is involved in making you who you are. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son has come to you for the sprinkling of his blood. This is a, a look back at the um, when, when Israel kneels before God at Mount Sinai and they are, Moses sprinkles them with, their, with blood of the sacrifice and they are sanctified, set apart as God's royal priesthood. He says, I'm making you a nation of priests to the world. I'm setting you apart as my people. Later, Aaron and his sons will also be sprinkled with blood as they were ordained to the Levitical priesthood as set apart for as God's people. And, Paul, and, and Peter is saying, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has come to you and is setting you apart as his people. Understand, you're not simply, this is not simply some little thing God's got going on the side. He has come to you and he's making you his people. And you are, as Peter will say shortly later, you are a royal priesthood. This is who you are. You're being rejected by your family, but let me tell you who you are. He goes on in what is a glorious outburst. When Peter gets going here in chapter 1, he can't stop. He just, he just, it just overflows with the glory of what God has done and is doing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. It just gushes forth from him the glory of what God has done. Peter is full of life. He's full of life. He says, you have been born again. You've received new life. And you've been born to a living hope. And he's full of life because Peter, and he says this, because he, he remembers, he always remembers the resurrection. 
the resurrection is ever present to Peter. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is why it is so important, really important, that Easter is not one day. Liturgically, it's a season. And that itself teaches us something very important. We are not just to celebrate one day. The living hope we have, the new life we receive from Christ comes because of the resurrection. And we are to always remember that. Like Peter, it should never be far from our minds. That the Father has brought the Son again from the dead and He's given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Think of this, think of hearing this, once again, as a part of a family where a member has been come to know Christ, has accepted the faith, and has been rejected by their family. And he says, your inheritance, Peter says, your inheritance is undefiled, imperishable, unfading. How would they have heard it? I'm being excluded from the inheritance of my family. I'm no longer a part of my family. That inheritance that was mine from my earthly family, I no longer have. And Peter says, but don't worry. You have an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance in God because you have been born into his family. And it is kept in heaven for you. And you're being guarded by faith, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A salvation that is yet to come. I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how comforting that is to me, that there is a salvation that is yet to come. There is a thought sometimes that we're saved and then this is it. We're saved. And that's salvation is a thing that happened. It's a thing that happened in the past. That's not the way Peter presents that. There is a salvation is yet to come. And then there are many Christians who become Christians and think, well, I'm saved. And now I, I get all these blessings and good things. And then we are disillusioned when we find that the Christian life is not pretty. The church is a difficult place to be sometimes. It's because our full salvation is not yet here. This, this, this life that we struggle through right now is not the full thing that God intends for us. There is yet something to come. And it is messy now in this church. And we wonder, why would the church, shouldn't the church? No, the church is a place at war. We're at war with ourselves, in ourselves, with the world. And war is a messy thing. It's a hard thing. And Peter's going to say, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised with the fiery trials that come. Don't be surprised by the difficult things you face. You're at war. You've got an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's the life you have now. 
You have a life at war. But listen what's coming. The inheritance that's coming. One that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Don't lose sight of the resurrection and all that it brings. But also, he's going to say, because there is that so which has to come, don't lose faith. Stay strong. He goes on. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stay strong in the faith. Don't leave it, Peter says. <clears throat> On Good Friday, we, or I did, pondered the inclusion of Peter's denial in the gospel narrative. All four gospels give the denial of Peter in, in the story, the passion story of Jesus. And I wondered, why is it there? I mean, it happened, so we include, but there are many things, John said there are many things that happen that are not included in. And it seems like this one is not, do I need to know that, that Peter denied Jesus for me to know the fullness of what Christ did? It helps fill out the picture of Christ's rejection and his aloneness on the cross, but I didn't necessarily need to know it. And the reason I thought about this is because the gospel writers, at least three of them, we, I know, Matthew, Mark, and John, know Peter, are friends with Peter. In Mark's case, is, is Peter's, Peter was his mentor. Peter, Peter guided Mark in his growth and ministry. Luke probably knows him. And if I'm writing a gospel narrative telling of what this story for the world, for, for all of eternity, would I, it would be difficult for me to write the most shameful, the most shameful episode of this coworker, friend, mentor's life. It'd be, be a hard thing to write. But they do, and in stark detail. They don't, they don't soften it. And I assume, especially in Mark's case, because I think much of what Mark gets, he gets from Peter. He does it with Peter's blessing. They do it with Peter's blessing. In fact, I can imagine Peter making this a regular part of his teaching. A go-to sermon illustration. Let me tell you who I am and what Christ has done. And he does it, I think, for many reasons, but one of them is because he knows that we will all face that same temptation. Maybe not to stand around a fire and say, I have no idea who, no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. We're not usually tempted to go that far. Most of us actually sort of don't need to. 
But there are many more milder forms of denial that we do regularly. And I include myself in this. It is, I think, a form of denial of Jesus to, <clears throat> to think of him as one part, if you will, of what makes for an overall healthy lifestyle. In other words, to see Jesus as filling a spiritual niche in our lives alongside things like good diet and exercise, meaningful occupation, leisure, maybe a few good friends, and all of this combining to give us a holistic health and happy life. So we can present ourselves as being well-rounded and touched with our spiritual side because we've included Jesus in our life. And in this case, we will even rightly say we love Him because we do, because He, he does something for us. And we're grateful to Him and His presence in our life. But this arrangement also allows us to fit Him into His place in our lives allows us to customize him to fit our context, and it allows us to bring him out when needed and maybe put him away when not. Or at least to make adjustments with him and in our life. There are times when I need a little more Jesus and a little more Bible. But there's maybe times when I can put him away and what I really need is a little more leisure and good fresh vegetables. And I'm not arguing that we have to pick between Jesus and good diet, though some have, some have. What I'm arguing is they're not the same category. He's not just another thing we fit into our life that makes it holistic and healthy. That is to deny him who he is and deny his place in his life. And Peter will say in this first sermon after Pentecost, he will say, he is Lord, he is Christ, he is God. He's not just another thing we fit into our life. And this is the temptation for us most often. Peter says, don't go there. In, in his epistle, he has no category. He has no category for the cultural Christian. It's not there. He has no one category for the person who likes Jesus, loves Jesus because of Jesus fits well into his life or her life. Provides some spiritual benefit. And we then can just sort of read him as we like. Peter says, that's your life. That is your life. Don't leave it. It will be tested, it will be tested, and it will be hard. Don't give him up. Don't give him up. In this instance, he will say in this book, don't give him up for the sake of relationships. Don't give him up for the sake of money. Don't give him up for the sake of status. You'll be tempted to do all those things, to make compromises 
to see how he can, we can sort of integrate him in to the rest of our life. Just don't do it. Don't do it. He is your life. He is your life. He rose from the dead. He gave you new life. Don't leave that because you will be tempted to do so. Stay firm in the testing of your faith so that it may then found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise and honor and glory to whom? There is a rewarding of those who stay faithful. And Jesus, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. But the true praise and honor and glory are to the one who keeps us and has given us that life. And he says, hang on, that's coming. It's coming. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with love that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this he is summing, summing up this opening explosion of gratitude and belief and encouragement and warning. He says, you guys haven't seen him. Maybe hearkening back to our gospel reading, Thomas. He says, I'm not going to believe unless I see. You haven't seen him. But I also think Peter will have in his, his, his mind the fact that I had seen him. I had seen him. I had confessed him to be the Christ. And I had said, I had said to him, I'll never deny you. And I did. You guys, I'm right. You never saw him. You never saw him. And you love him. You love him and you believe in him. You believe in what he teaches. Guys, stay strong in that. I know you can leave that. I did. Stay strong. Keep loving him. Keep believing in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's hard to do. It's hard to do. And I will tell you, it is not possible to do if the resurrection is far from our minds. And this is why Peter keeps the resurrection close. He cannot have that joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory if he is not in constant meditation on the fact that Christ died but he rose from the grave and that resurrection is my resurrection. That life is my life and I have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. And this is obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Once again, this is looking at a future tense, the salvation of our souls that is to come. What a glorious Easter passage. What a glorious Easter passage for the second Sunday of Easter. Guys, know all of who God was was involved in the work that was done to give you new life. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have worked not just at that time, but through all eternity 
not, not just for your sake. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to call this just for TJ, just so TJ can feel good about himself. But because this is what God does. He redeems things. He redeems things. He makes things new. And all of who he was led to the sprinkling of us with Christ's blood, bringing us in to his covenant family, making us a royal priesthood, giving us an inheritance that no earthly family can take away from us. No rejection of other people can take away from us. Because of the resurrection of Christ, he gives us that living hope. And then he says, but hold fast to that hope. Hold fast to that teaching. Through trials and tribulations and testings. And it will result. It will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, hold that image. Hold that thought. Keep it close. Not just through the next few weeks of Easter, but keep it with you through the whole year. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.